0: We just finished up a series looking at Psalm 112, and next week we're going to be starting a, a series through the book of Ruth, if you'd like to look ahead. But this week is a little bit of a transitional week. It's also a week where we celebrate the anniversary of our church. and. I look forward to this opportunity and, and just the, the privilege that the Lord's given us to be able to continue to worship Him as a church family. I'm grateful for the people that the Lord's made part of our church. And one of the things that you will notice just in in any story of, of a church's origin or development, you hear stories of steps of faith. And so we're going to be talking about some things like that today. And this morning, what I'd like to do is to start off by looking at Nehemiah chapter 2. So we're going to begin our... our uh, our conversation this morning with Nehemiah chapter 2, and then we're going to be looking at some complementary scriptures that go along with this. But basically, I think we see in Nehemiah's example and some of the examples that we're going to be looking at, this idea of not fearing the next step of faith that the Lord asks you to take. I don't know if you've ever gone through a series um, just in your life, a period of time where you feel like the Lord was really encouraging you, really inviting you to take steps of faith. That can be a very stretching experience, but it could also be a very joyful experience. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, we're about to see a step of faith that the Lord invited Nehemiah to take. And I think he was a bit nervous to take that step of faith, at least initially, even though he felt in his conscience that it was the right thing to do. But you might easily be able to identify with this. So, Nehemiah chapter 2, starting with verse 1, this is what it tells us. In the month of Nisan... In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad, when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins? And its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, If it pleases the king, let letters be given given me to the governors of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city, for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked. For the good hand of my God was upon me. I love that line. For the good hand of my God was upon me. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to be able to look at this portion of Scripture today. And and we're grateful, Lord, for all of your blessings and for the variety of ways that we could see that you have inspired us to take steps of faith, how you have inspired us to trust you in the midst of things that, that seemed a bit shaky or uncertain, Lord, we're even grateful as we look at this brief snippet from Nehemiah's story uh, to be able to see the ways in which you inspired him to trust you and to take bold steps of faith in the midst of an era where there were certainly things that that stood in his way and would have challenged him from doing so, but he was obedient to you and did what you called him to do just the same. So, Lord, we pray that if you inspire us, if you ask us to take a step of faith in one direction or another, we pray that you teach us to be obedient to your leading and we thank you again, Lord, for the examples that you've given to us of those that have done just that. We commit this time to you now, Lord. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think Nehemiah is one of probably one of the best loved characters in the Old Testament scriptures. Uh, Nehemiah was somebody that that had a, a very esteemed position in the era in which he lived. He was cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. King Artaxerxes was in Persia, world power at the time. And Nehemiah tells us here that hearing the walls were not built around Jerusalem, uh, he asked permission. He he sought uh, the authority to go back and to rebuild those walls and to lead people in that task. And when you look throughout the book of Nehemiah and you see the different things that were on his heart and the things that the Lord gave him the opportunity to do, you can see that his goal was a spiritual restoration. Of, the, of ultimately the people of Judah, but also a social restoration of this group of people. And you watch as he carries out his tasks. You could see all throughout the book, even see it in what we just read just a moment ago, and we're going to highlight this in a moment. But Nehemiah was also a man of prayer. Somebody who was a man of prayer, when there was something that the Lord placed upon his heart, he would, he would communicate with the Lord, he would seek the lord 's intervention, he would seek the lord 's guidance and strength and power, and then he would act on what the Lord said to him, He would act on what the Lord was impressing upon his heart to do he didn 't only pray and then leave it there. he prayed and then did what the Lord challenged him to do and I always feel when, when going through this book, and there 's plenty of times that i 've gone through it personally and and I'm sure there's many times that you've gone through it as well. But don't you feel when you, when you see Nehemiah's heart, when you see him carry out his leadership the way he carries it, when you see the sense of mission that he had and his desire to honor the Lord and the Word of God in the process, doesn't he demonstrate just a foretaste of who Jesus Christ is? You see a lot of the traits of Christ in Nehemiah, in the way Nehemiah responds to the will of the Father and in the way that he acts toward the will of God. In relationship to the people. I feel like he's a really good example, but one of the things that you notice that in the midst of this step of faith that Nehemiah was asked to take, you could see that there was some fear in what he was being called to do. And I want to highlight that for starters this morning because I actually think that your fear might be evidence of your faith being used or tested. Let me reread those first three verses again, just so it's, it's fresh in our mind. But in verses one through three, again, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. And then Nehemiah says this, it's very transparent, this is the type of thing that people have a lot of difficulty admitting, but he says, then I was very much afraid, and I was very much afraid, and I love what he says here, it says, I said to the king, let the king live forever, why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves lies in ruins, and its gates have been destroyed by fire? There are a series of people throughout the course of human history that I think I have an extra dose of respect for. And from time to time, I like to read biographical things about them. I enjoy watching documentaries about them. Certain historical figures, I've also thought, and I've never done this, but sometimes I've thought about maybe I should take pictures of them and put them around my office just so they could be like a weekly inspiration so I could see their face and be like, you know what, you're an inspiration to me, person who lived in the past. Um, but there are people that I look at from the course of history, uh, and, um, and I have a deep admire, admiration for them because they were people of great faith that would couple that faith with action. And whenever I see people do that, whenever I see people demonstrate great faith, great trust in the Lord in the midst of everything they're going through, and then coupling that faith with action, where they actually take the steps to put these things into practice, I can't help but admire that. I feel like that's the type of example that I want before my face because that's the type of thing that I desire to do. And I know that so many of you desire to do that as well. And Nehemiah was one of those guys that follows that pattern. And as this chapter opens up here, we're shown a picture of Nehemiah. He's fulfilling his role. His role is as a cupbearer. A cupbearer was a trusted position. We know that Nehemiah's role as a cupbearer was to taste the food and the drink that was presented before King Artaxerxes to make sure that it was safe for him to consume it before he ate it. And so, Nehemiah here tells us that he's fulfilling his role like always, but the king, who has a lot of trust for Nehemiah, because Nehemiah is the guy tasting his food and and a guy that he's one step... You know, if, if Nehemiah is doing his job well, the king lives. If Nehemiah is doing his job poorly, the king doesn't live so long or at least gets sick. And so, He has a lot of trust for Nehemiah. He has a a lot of respect for him. It's a very esteemed position where you're entrusting your life to somebody, and he operated in close proximity with them. And even though Nehemiah, up to this point, he says, look, I hadn't been sad in the king's presence before, but do you ever get to a spot where your face tells the whole story, and as much as you try to hide it, you just can't hide it? Many of you know on Friday nights, my wife and I like to, to have a date night, and this Friday night, we were out to eat, And we were sitting and we were chatting, and I was eating my food, and she was eating her food, and then she looked at me and she's like, Something is wrong with him. Now, you know, there's many things wrong, right? But she was noticing from my facial expression in that moment, there was something wrong. And she noticed I started sipping my iced tea a little bit quicker, and she's like, Is everything okay? And I said, Yeah, um, this turkey club that I just got is a little, it's delicious, but it's a little dry, and I, I have a little bit of it stuck right here. <laughs> and uh, she's like, I could tell something was wrong just by looking at your face. And then she started to give me instruction on how to make it go away. Like I don't know, right? Like I don't know. Like I don't get food stuck in my throat all the time, right? But I was like, thank you, mommy. I mean, wife. Um <laughs> She's like, maybe you should drink water. I was like, you see that I'm drinking the tea. That's a different story, all right? That's a different story. But you could tell on my face something was wrong. And when you look at this portion of scripture here. The king looks at Nehemiah's face and he's like, Something's wrong. Something is wrong. I haven't seen him like this in my presence before. And it, the scripture is very clear that Nehemiah was indeed sad. He was heartbroken over the condition of Jerusalem. And so the king asks him about it. He just wants to know a little bit more about this. So, in this moment, consider what's going on here. Artaxerxes is king of Persia. At this point, he's the most powerful man on the earth. They are the superpower of that era in history. And he makes the request of Nehemiah to share what's on his heart. It's like, share, tell me what's going on in your heart. He wanted to know what was troubling him, which is interesting because you would assume that sometimes a person of position or prestige like that wouldn't really care about what's going on with other people, but he could see something was wrong with Nehemiah and he wanted to know a little bit more about that. And we're told that that moment, that question, this interaction and all that was going on, it prompted fear in Nehemiah's heart. But he answered the king anyway, and he explained to him that the city of his forefathers, that it was in ruins, that its gates had been destroyed by fire, and it was troubling him because that information had reached his ears. Now, this is an interesting way for this chapter to open up, in my opinion, because it's clear that Nehemiah had a heart for what mattered to God. He cared about the things that mattered to the Lord. It also is clear when you read throughout the book of Nehemiah that he was a man of faith, that he was a man of prayer, that he was also a man of action. You could see that all throughout the book. But we're also given a very human and down-to-earth picture and glimpse of Nehemiah in this passage. And in his own words, he says that he was very, very, much afraid. Now, I don't know about you, but the older you get, doesn't it become a little bit harder to admit you're afraid? At least for some of us guys, right? You don't, you don't want to admit you're afraid, at least not to each other. But here he's writing it down for us to read for all time. He says, I was very much afraid. No hesitancy, no shyness about this. What do you think about this, though? Can a person be both faithful and fearful? Can a person be both faithful and fearful? Is that something we could do? Can we, can we be both? By the way, it's very clear from Scripture, when you, if you've ever wondered how to please God, you know, if you're new in your walk with Christ and you're wondering what pleases God, you know what Scripture makes very clear, pleases God? A lot of times people think that it's a long checklist of a whole bunch of things you've got to do. And Scripture says the Lord is pleased with your faith. Now, obedience will come from genuine faith, but the Lord's pleased by your faith. Faith pleases the Lord. Scripture's very clear that faith pleases the Lord. It's very clear in multiple places. Let me just show you a couple of them. In Hebrews 11, 1 through 3, there it says this about faith. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. So what does it say? Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. Faith is the evidence of the things we cannot see. Or how about what it tells us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20? There the apostle Paul says this about faith. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith in the Son of God. Again, he says, and the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So that's what Scripture tells us. That's a variety, a sampling of what Scripture tells us about the life of faith. God is genuinely pleased by faith. He wants you and I to trust Him in every circumstance. In every place that he places us in, in any occasion that comes our way, he wants us to trust in him. So what place can fear play in the life of a believer? You know, if we're called to live by faith and if the Lord is pleased by faith, what place does fear have in our life? In one respect, you know, it would be pretty easy to say, well, it has no place in my life. Fear has no place in my life. And I I don't think it would be wrong to say that. But I also think it's kind of interesting because we're in the midst of a struggle, right? We're struggling to grow. Nehemiah was in the midst of that struggle as well. So does it somehow make you or me less of a believer if at times for a season we struggle with fear? Does it make you somehow less of a Christian? Does it make you somehow less of a follower of Christ if you go through a spat where maybe you're struggling with fear? Was Nehemiah spiritually immature because in this moment he was wrestling with fear? I think these are useful things to kind of wrestle with because the truth is in many cases i actually think the presence of fear might be evidence that your faith is being tested in a positive way now, i don't think we should linger in fear for a long time but i think sometimes when you're stepping into unfamiliar territory what you're doing is you're fighting your natural instincts our natural instincts are to retreat to safety and to retreat to what's familiar and to not step out on faith but when you step out on faith You're stepping into unfamiliar territory. You're fighting your natural instincts. You're placing yourself in a spot that forces you to be stretched beyond what you're accustomed to being stretched. And if you're listening to God's voice, and if you're taking steps of faith as He nudges you to do so, I actually think that at times the presence of fear might actually be a form of confirmation that you're not shrinking back from your mission. You're not shrinking back to safe and familiar places. You're being stretched. You're uncomfortable, uh, uncomfortable for a period of time. And again, I'm not saying fear is a good thing. I'm not saying that fear is something that you and I should be jumping up and down to, you know, somehow get more of in our life. And I certainly don't personally want to embrace fear when I notice it showing up in my life. But in a context where your faith is being stretched... Sometimes it could actually serve as evidence that your natural impulses are, uh, you know, your, your desire for safety, your desire for comfort, that you're fighting against that because you want to be obedient to the Lord's calling on your life. Heard an interesting quote some time ago. It's from David Joseph Schwartz, and he said this, to fight fear, act, to increase fear, wait, put off, postpone. Just think about that statement. You want to fight fear, Act. If you want to increase fear, just wait, put off, postpone. By the way, I noticed something on my own list yesterday that I've been postponing since last October, and it dawned on me that we're two weeks away from it being a year since I started a task. It was an elective task. It wasn't even something I had to do, but then I created this deadline in my mind, and I was like, wait, you're at a year since you started that. Maybe it's time you finish it. Do you ever do that to yourself? Do you ever find yourself in a spot where you're like, oh, just, I'll do this later, I'll do this later, and then you find out that it's been a year. And what happens? Wait, put off, postpone, what does it do? That increases fear. That increases anxiety. That increases worry. But if you want to fight fear, act. Now, Nehemiah was wrestling with fear, but he also decided, as the Lord empowered him to do so, to act. And I like what, what... you know, predates that or precedes that, because as he's about to act, he also does something else, and that's pray. And here's what I've learned about prayer from what Scripture reveals, from what this passage reveals, from what Jesus says about prayer. Your prayers don't have to be long to be genuine. Think about how Nehemiah prays in this passage. Look at verse 4. He says, then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Now, Nehemiah had not directly requested anything, but indirectly, Nehemiah is telling the king about problems, and the king understands, all right, if you're telling me about problems, you're probably going to be asking for my help or my intervention in some particular way. So the king said to me, what are you requesting? And what's the next request Nehemiah makes before he even requests anything of the king? He goes to God. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now keep in mind the context in which this was in. He's in the midst of conversation with the king. So how long could this prayer have been? Just think about that in in your mind for just a second. But it says, so I prayed to the king of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. So as Nehemiah is here pouring out his heart before the king, the king could see this as more than just a moment for Nehemiah to vent his feelings. He's not just trying to vent before the king. It was clear that Nehemiah felt burdened to act on something that was troubling him. And so the king asked Nehemiah the kind of question that anyone on the face of the earth at that time would have loved to be asked. He asks him, what are you requesting? The most powerful man in the world at that time asked Nehemiah, what are you requesting? And he has the power to do something about that. Keep in mind that at this point in history, Artaxerxes is not just a powerful king. He's the most powerful king on the earth. So that means at his disposal were armies, at his disposal was money, at his disposal were people and resources And all of these people and individuals and armies, they're all required to do whatever the king says. Whatever the king directs, they're required to obey. No one had as much at their disposal as Artaxerxes, and no one on earth could command as much to take place as Artaxerxes could in that particular era of history. And Nehemiah knew that for the work that needed to be done in Jerusalem to be accomplished, he would need the help and he would need the favor of the king. And here we could see that the Lord had been working in the king's heart to be favorably disposed toward Nehemiah, to help Nehemiah in the mission that God was giving him. So when the king asks Nehemiah, what are you requesting? I think it's really cool to realize that Nehemiah did something that I'm guessing many of us can identify with. He just quickly prayed. Just very quickly prayed. Before he makes any request of the king, he just quickly prays to the Lord. Now, does it give us the details of what he prayed for? just as he prayed, right? doesn't give us the specifics. It doesn't tell us the words that he used as he came before the Lord. But what do you suppose he asked the Lord for in that moment as he quickly prayed before he responded to the king? He's not going to want to keep that king waiting, right? So he prays quickly. I imagine it could have been a one- or a two-word prayer. It, could have, it was probably, yeah, I saw Rose just mouth it there. I saw that, Rose. Help, right? Or maybe, Lord, help. Now, I have prayed that prayer many times in my life. It might be the most consistent prayer I've prayed over the course of my life, and maybe you've done the same. In fact, just the other day, on Monday, I was driving, and believe it or not, it actually rained on Monday. I know we don't get rain anymore. It doesn't seem like we do, but I was traveling from visiting some family up in northeast Pennsylvania, and it started to rain really hard on Monday when I was driving back, and right as I turned onto onto 78, my car started hydroplaning. So what do you pray when you, when, you know, I don't have time, it's like, to really formulate my words in that moment, right? It's just, Lord, help. And I, I think I may have just said, maybe even, uh-oh, help, right? Something like that, because I started swerving over into this lane, and I ended up hydroplaning two more times on the drive home, and I thought I wasn't even going fast at that point. But it was a very bad storm, and you find yourself in moments like that, Lord, help. Or can you think of times, those of you that have raised children, when your children were little, and some of you have little children right now, where do you ever have that sinking feeling where you're somewhere, and for that split second, you don't realize, you don't know where the kid went? You know, do you ever have that moment where you thought the kid was right there, and you look down, and the kid's not there, and you're spinning, and you're, where's my child, and what happens in your heart? It sinks to the floor, and you find yourself praying like Nehemiah prayed, Lord, help. Where's my kid, right? And that's what... Nehemiah was expressing here, there's another Lord help moment, where, the, where Artaxerxes is looking at him and saying, what do you want? And Nehemiah, in the, in the midst of this, is saying, Lord, help. And, and by the way, some people think that prayer has to be long for it to be effective, or that it needs to be maybe accompanied by a grasp of the English, English language that would... Um, that would sound like Shakespearean. You know, I have, a, I have a friend from New York who in any given moment just sounds like a guy from the part of New York that he's from. Except if you ask him to pray in a public context. If you ask him to pray in a public context, every word gets EST, added to. So like no becomes no-est. Uh, you know, like, like all these things become just... Very Shakespearean, you know, every reference to you is changed to the, every suffix has E-S-T at the end, uh, know becomes knowest, think becomes thinkest. I'm like, when do you, when in your natural speaking do you ever speak this way? It kind of reminds me of this, in Mark chapter 12, Jesus makes this statement, by the way. It says, Jesus also taught, Be, beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive spe- uh, respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. What's Christ saying there? Now, by the way, if you're ever asked to publicly pray, there's nothing wrong with praying a long prayer in public. But what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to pray, just be sincere about it. Be genuine about it. He's not grading you on your perfect English. He's not grading you on, your, on whether or not you sound like somebody that lived during the 1500s, the 1900s, or present day. Nehemiah didn't have the opportunity to use a whole lot of words, but what he used was sincere. And I think he probably just said, Lord, please help me. Please help me. Or maybe he just said, Lord, help The point is, the Lord is not impressed by a show, but here's what He does love. He delights to say yes to requests that are in line with His purposes and plan. And I would encourage you, as the Lord invites you to take steps of faith over the course of your life, live a life that is so unsafe in those regards, meaning a life that you step out of your comfort zone so so severely that you have no choice but to pray. Because you know that apart from the Lord's intervention, what you're presently experiencing is not going to work out super well. Take steps of faith that put you in a spot where you are forced to pray. Because it is so unnatural and so unique and so in line with the thing that the Lord's been calling you to do that's going to stretch you. Because your faithfulness can be used by God to, to accomplish great things. And I love some of the other examples that were given in Scripture of where the Lord stretches people like this, and I think He forces them to take a posture of prayer in the midst of that. Let me give you another example. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 20, here you have some names that you're going to find familiar, Peter and Andrew. It says, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, this is saying Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Now, consider this. They are at that point engaged in their occupation. This is how they feed their families. This is how they feed their household. This is what they were trained to do. This is the kind of life that they've been living. This is the kind of business they're inheriting you know, the kind of business they're working in. And Jesus says, leave that and come follow me. Do you suppose that that would be, naturally speaking, an easy thing to do or a difficult thing to do? I think we know the answer to that. A difficult thing to do, unless you just want complete peace in your heart. If you want complete peace in your heart, just say yes every time God asks you to do something, no matter what it is even without knowing all the details ahead of time, because that's certainly what those men demonstrated. They did not know all the details ahead of time. Jesus didn't go over at that point with them, oh, and by the way, both of you are going to be martyred because you bear my name and you follow me. They're actually going to kill you, and it's going to be painful. But come follow me. didn't go into those details at that point. They didn't know all those details yet. Peter didn't know that the Lord was going to do miraculous things through him and speak powerfully through him. He didn't know all those details yet. All he knew is that Jesus was saying, listen, leave this, right? Leave your nets. You know, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. That's all they knew. Just follow me. That's what Jesus said. Follow me. I'll show you the next thing. And then after we go through the next thing, then I'll show you the very next thing after that. And the next thing after that. Sometimes we want to know a hundred steps ahead and the Lord says, I'm going to show you the next step. And then when you get to the next step, you're going to be able to trust me for the next step. I think the character and the faithfulness and the reputation that the Lord creates in your life, once you follow him, is something that he can use in powerful ways as he seeks to accomplish his purposes on this earth. And when I look at Nehemiah's life, and when I look at Peter, when I look at Andrew, when I look at these guys... I see in Nehemiah that he loved the Lord and he took steps of faith as the Lord directed him. I see Peter and Andrew responding in faith when Jesus invited them to follow him. By the way, there's no greater, I mean, if there's any lesson, anything that you take from from what I'm sharing today, I hope it's that, that Jesus is inviting you to follow him and trust him and that you won't regret if you say yes to him. And as you do so, as you trust the Lord, as you follow him, as you walk with him, the Lord can ultimately use your life in great and mighty ways. If he impresses upon your heart to act in a particular way, will you act? If he tells you to move, will you go? If there's a task he sets in your mind to accomplish, will you obey him or will you retreat to safe and comfortable places? I want to share a personal story of, of, uh, very much related to our church of a way that the Lord stretched me, and I watched him stretch me over the course of a long period of time. But I know some of you are in college, and some of you are going to college at the very same place that I went to college, and when I was in college, I had a plan. I'm somebody that makes plans. Those of you that know me, you know, I'm looking around the room, I see Steve and Carol right here in the center, they've known me since I was in single digits, and can tell you that even in single digits, I was somebody that liked to have things organized I like to have a plan. I still like to have a plan. When I was in college, I liked to have a plan. And at the time, I was, I was studying to become a history teacher. I know I've shared that with you before. But then I got hired by a church in Hatboro to be their youth director. And uh, soon after I became their youth director, the pastor would frequently ask me to preach for him when, I, when he was going to be away on vacation. Now, I wasn't seasoned at preaching. I had teaching experience, but I wasn't a seasoned speaker from a pulpit, but I started saying yes, and I started enjoying that. I really enjoyed working in that context of the church, and through that experience, and then through the encouragement of other Christian leaders and friends, the Lord made it clear to me that He was changing my plans. My plans were to become a history teacher, and He was calling me to serve as a pastor instead. Either would have been fine as long as I was in the center of the Lord's will. But when it was clear that he wasn't still nudging me to serve as a history teacher when he was calling me to serve as a pastor, I had a choice to make. I had to either say yes or I I could say no, but I didn't want to say no. Now, at the same time, I was friends with another pastor, and some of you know this man, a man named Gene Martin. You know the name Gene Martin? So Gene Martin was the pastor of Newtown Community Church. By the way, that was right here. This was Newtown Community Church at that time. And I told him my plans. I told him, you know, I've been telling you I was going to be a history teacher. I feel pretty certain now that the Lord's calling me to serve in pastoral ministry. And this was his response to me. He said, you know what, that is great news. He said, that's great news. And he said, do me a favor. Start showing up to my church on occasion. I know you work at Hapro. I get that, I get that. But he said, start showing up here. So here, this building. He said, start showing up here on occasion because I just want some of the people here to get to know you a little bit because here's my plan. And I don't know how widely... He told people about this, but he trusted me enough to tell me this. He said, listen, I'm getting ready to retire. I don't know the exact date, but this is what I want to do. I want the congregation to start to get to know you a little, because I think I'm going to recommend you to serve here once I'm gone. And I was like, really? I was like, okay, all right, see how this is going? And so I would show up just now and then. You know, I had responsibilities at the other church, but I'd pop in for the midweek Bible study. I'd pop in sometimes on Sunday morning, just now and then, talking to people. And it kind of got in my mind during the uh, latter half of my college years, particularly my senior year, I started daydreaming about potentially one day serving here. And I thought, and Gene thought at that point too, that he was probably going to retire at the end of that school year. So I was just waiting for him to make the, the like, announcement and then the recommendation. But then he changed his mind about when he was going to retire. I was like, why are you doing this to me, right? He's up to when he retires, is up to him. I could see God's plan in it. But as the timing of his retirement didn't line up with my graduation like he initially thought. He decided that he needed to stay a few more years. And so what I did is I accepted the call to serve elsewhere. But the idea of serving here never left my mind. I didn't know that it was going to become a reality at that point. But it was always in the back of my mind, at least remembering how much I used to think about it when I was in college. And looking back, I can now see that that was a seed that the Lord was planting for another season of life. It was like something he got in my head, something he was preparing my heart for that wasn't meant for that season. It was meant for another season of life. And after Gene eventually retired, Newtown Community Church went through a series of leadership changes and short term pastoral tenures. And in the midst of all that transition, the church lost momentum and then it eventually trickled down to just a few faithful members that were left, or just a few people that were left. And so that small group reached out to a mission board that I happened to be serving with at the time. So it's kind of interesting how that all worked out, but that small group reached out to a mission board, and they asked for some guidance, and they had three questions. These were the questions that they presented to the mission board. They said, should we officially close the church and sell the building? That was question number one. Question number two was, could the proceeds then be used toward Mission work and church planting. If we do that, and then their third quest- question was the one that really intrigued me: Could a new church be planted here? And I remember at the time being like, "Oh, totally, totally!" A new, and I started asking around. I even had a guy partially convinced that maybe I, I thought, you know, I, I think I found a guy for them. And I was trying to steer one of my friends to come down here and plant a, a new work, rebuild the church. And he was starting to think about it, and I I remember coming down uh, because the remnant of people that were left invited the mission board to meet with them, and so we drove down here and we met, and I had that in the back of my mind. I thought, all right, maybe I could get this guy to come down and uh, serve here. And and, uh, so there was a small group of people from the church plus the representatives from the mission board here in this sanctuary, and some of the, the problems that the church was facing at that time were pretty obvious. Others weren't quite as clear. And there were about six adults at that point that were committed to the, to the ministry of the church, and they were very open to suggestions, strongly spiritual people. One of the things I've noticed in helping uh, other churches like the mission board that I'm part of does is a lot of times the remnant of people that are left, their hearts aren't in a great place, and they're just staying there because of sentimental reasons. To the credit of, of the remnant that was here, their hearts were in the right place, And I remember thinking to myself, I hope that group of people stays for the new thing. I hope they stay for the new thing. I hope they'll be part of it. And I remember at that time wishing I could be two people because I was serving in ministry up in northeast Pennsylvania, but also very much had a heart for what I felt like the Lord wanted to do here. And I commented later that evening uh, to somebody. I said, you know, I wish I could be two people, one that could continue doing what I'm doing up here, And then another that could come down and and maybe help get the new thing started. And um, the more I prayed about it, I remember that evening bringing it up to my wife, and and, and then we prayed about it together that night, and then the next morning she woke me up before our alarms went off, and she's like, let's pray about this and talk about this more. And then I remember us driving down and praying in the parking lot, and, and we started asking other friends and mentors. Like, is this right? Are we just being emotional? Is this right? Like, should we commit ourselves to do this? Should we uproot our family? Here's the thing. All our family was up in Northeast PA, and everything was fine up there, and we were close to everything, and the the thought of uprooting and, and moving here meant we had to sell property and do all that. We're just really wrestling with it, but we couldn't shake the fact that the Lord seemed to be calling us to leave familiar and comfortable surroundings, uproot our family, move here, and take the risk and, and uh, you know, just see if we could be part of the solution. And so we prayed about it. We asked other people for input on it. We talked to the remnant of people that were still here to see what everybody thought. And, and it was all green lights. And so by God's grace, we were like, all right, let's do this. And so we sold our home, bought a new home down here, transitioned to the area, and the new process began. We took that step of faith, and I remember at that time, I bought something, I still have it hanging in our kitchen, it was just like a little plaque that says, faith makes things possible, not easy. <laughs> so do you ever, do you ever like just think about that? Like if, if the Lord asked you to take a step of faith, he's not saying, oh yeah, this will be a piece of cake. Like, Most likely, it's going to be very hard, and it's at times going to be uncomfortable, and it might even provoke a little fear, like Nehemiah experienced, but it was so good. And I remember we spent the first two years attempting to build up a core group of leaders and a core group of volunteers, just kind of get some systems in place and make some updates and changes to the building. And once we felt like that good foundation was in place, we we met together as a church and we're like, all right, here's the time now. It was September 2010, so it was 12 years ago. We're like, we're basically ready to announce to the community our grand opening and our new name. And so the church name was changed to Core Creek Community Church. We had our grand opening Sundays. We had three grand opening Sundays that September, and we announced the grand opening to the community, and it was very exciting to watch the work was doing, the Lord, that the Lord was doing that time. And I remember those initial years very vividly and very fondly, because I remember the congregation growing from less than 10 people to then up to 20. And I was excited. I was like, wow, we, there's 20 people that are part of our church family now. And then I remember we went from the 20s to the 40s quickly. And I thought, this is exciting. We went from the 20s to the 40s. There's like 40 people here now. And then I remember we, after a couple of years, we got up to about 65. And then during that summer, 20 of those people moved. Two of them passed away and three left for other reasons and we were right back down to 40. So we got up to 65, and then we're back down to 40 again. But then back to 70, and then 80, and then it continued. And I remember early in that season looking at the empty parking lot and then just praying. And the only thing I remember praying to the Lord in the midst of that, I remember praying, Lord, and I'm seeing it full in my mind and just praying to the Lord, Lord, may it be so. It's kind of like an amen-type prayer. Lord, may it be so. May it be filled. Someday, with people longing to hear the truth of your gospel, with people that want to meet your son Jesus Christ. May it be filled someday. And in the meantime, what we've watched over now 14 years, we've had the privilege to observe the Lord's work firsthand, and we've watched him answer prayers, all kinds of prayers during that time. He's rewarded the steps of faith that our family took, he re- rewarded the steps of faith that that committed core group took, he's re- rewarded the steps of faith that the ongoing chain of church members through the years have taken as they've they've become part of that mission. And just last week, and I have no idea how many people are here with us today, but last week my wife took the count and she said, do you realize that this Sunday, today, we have the highest number of people we've ever had with us for a Sunday morning worship service? And I said, what was the number? She said 171. And I thought, 171. And every time there's a Sunday like that, sometimes you'll catch me in the back. And if I think of it, I sometimes will snap a picture from the back. Because you know how, like, as a parent um, or a grandparent, when your child or grandchild does something, you just, you look at something and and you just kind of beam? That's how I feel every time I see something like that. As I watch the work the Lord's done, I remember those empty parking lot Sundays. I remember the days when everybody in the building could have come in just two cars, And last week, as we were parking cars along the the driveway, I thought, you know what, Lord? Thank you for letting us see that. That's something that He let us see that He didn't have to let us see. And I share that all to just celebrate what the Lord's been doing over this period of time, because I feel really, really grateful. And I know so many of you that have been committed to the Lord's work here feel the same way. And it's exciting to see the work He continues to do. And I also want to express this a little bit to like a personal testimony as something that I hope you'll think about if the Lord ever invites you to interrupt your routine or do something that is going to require you to answer his calling to either build or rebuild or participate in something like that in a way that might be a little uncomfortable, it might stretch you, it might even provoke a little bit of fear, just be obedient to what he calls you to do. You won't know the timeline, you won't know all the details ahead of time. He's probably just going to give you the task. And so, you know, when we look at at Nehemiah 2, what do we do? We celebrate Nehemiah's faith and obedience. When we look at the Gospels and see what Jesus spoke to Peter and Andrew, we celebrate Peter and Andrew's response to Christ's invitation. And I just want to encourage us to to let their example inspire our steps of faith as well. Because there's ongoing steps of faith that the Lord's going to ask us to make. And, And by the way, Can I just share five quick things that the Lord's shown us in the process of saying yes to his calling? And I'm sharing these things sort of from a personal standpoint, but also from an observational standpoint, having seen the Lord's hand at work in our church family. But there's certain things that he's shown me that happen when you say yes to what what he calls your life to do or what he impresses upon your heart to do. First of all, you'll discover that it won't be easy, but it will be good. It's not going to be easy, but it will be good. Second, he'll make you strong when you need strength, and he'll he'll provide encouragement when you're feeling low. So there are all sorts of times along the way when our volunteers, when our leaders, when I myself felt kind of sapped of strength, maybe a little bit discouraged. And in the midst of every one of those discouragements, I remember the first Outreach we we attempted was something we did at Halloween where we just thought, you know, we would have like we had these really yummy donuts and cider and everything ready for the kids in the community here at the church. You know how many kids showed up for that? Zero kids. <laughs> Zero kids. And I remember praying at that evening because we had volunteers here ready to help. It was the very first thing we attempted and we thought, all right, zero kids came, and I, I prayed to the Lord that evening. I was like, Lord, any chance you'd give us a quick win right on the back of this so that this doesn't really just crush our spirits? We literally had nobody show up, and, um, and so, and there, there are other times, like I, I could think of times where just different things happen or different things that were said that could be very deflating or very discouraging, and moments where you realize, all right, I need strength right now, but I don't need my strength. My strength is not sufficient in this, but I need the Lord's strength, and I need some encouragement. And can I testify to the fact that the Lord always supplied that? Always gave the strength, always gave the encouragement. He knows what we need. Here's another thing that I've discovered. All I knew in the midst of that initially was that there were several people that were committed here, and our family felt committed to come and to partner together with the small group that was committed here. But that was a very small group of us initially, and what I've also discovered is that the Lord will surround you with people who will join you on the mission. If the mission is something that's of Him, He will send those people. And we watched over the course of that time as the Lord continued to send people during that core phase and during the next phase. We continued to see Him send people, that said, yeah, we're in. We're going to join you with this. We want to help this church get off the ground. Here's something else that I hope that you'll, you'll keep in mind. The Lord's responsible for the fruit that comes from the labor. Some of that fruit is obvious and can be easily counted. So for us to be able to say, hey, the parking lot is full, or, or hey, we ran out of chairs, those are things that are easy to count. But, uh, but most of the fruit that comes from something that the Lord may ask you to do falls into a category that's not easily counted or quantified because it's fruit that's operating on a spiritual level that you might not be able to directly observe. So be faithful even if you don't visually see the kind of fruit that you were calling or that you were hoping that you were going to see when you answered the call because the Lord's faithful and will, response, will be responsible to produce the kind of fruit that ultimately He desires to see. And here's the other thing. You can trust Jesus with your life, and you can trust him with whatever he chooses to do with it. That's the honest truth. That's one of the things that he's taught me in the midst of this. I can't believe how quickly 14 years has gone by. But in the midst of what he's allowed us to see in this experience and in what predated it, he's reminded me, yeah, you could trust Jesus with your life. You could trust him with what he chooses to do with it. And uh, it's okay if he stretches you, and it's okay if... uh, if you venture into unfamiliar territory because he's holding you in the grip of his hand and he's not going to let go. So let me say this in a celebratory way as we finish up this morning. If the Lord ever impresses upon your heart to go in a direction that may stretch you, a direction to either build something or rebuild something or partner together with other people to do something like this, I would encourage you to make up your mind ahead of time to respond favorably. You don't even have to wait until the moment where you're presented with that option comes. You could decide ahead of time, Lord, if you present something like that before me, help me to just say yes. Because he'll use your life to directly impact others. And that impact is something that's going to have positive, eternal consequences beyond what you even realize or can count. And when you look back over the long-term results, of what comes from your choice to obey the Lord, to respond in faith when He asks you to to take those steps of faith, I think you'll be able to testify the very same thing that Nehemiah testified here. And I think this could be our testimony as a church as we celebrate 12 years since our grand opening. Nehemiah recognized that the good hand of his God was upon his life. And I feel like we can very, very full-throatedly testify to the fact that the good hand of our God has been upon our church, our church family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just the privilege that it is to be able to look at these scriptures today and think about these things in light of what you've done historically and in light of what you've done personally and in light of what you've done in and through our church, Lord, it's so exciting to be able to to see these things and to think about these things and to just be able to testify to the fact that you do amazing things. Lord, we know that when we step into territory where we're responding to your nudge or where we're responding to your calling, that it's not something that we can really control. Obviously, we want to be faithful in how we respond, and we want to make sure that we we demonstrate the, the fruit of your Spirit, and we want to walk by faith, but there's just so much, the majority of it is completely outside of our control. It's just one of those things where we say, all right, Lord, I'm going to step into territory that you've called me to step into, and then we'll see what happens next. We don't know what's going to happen next. We think we may know, but in the end, we really don't know. And Lord, as I look around this room, and as I think about those that are present with us, and I look at the faces of those who are part of this mission early on, and those that joined us at a different time, and those that are here with us for this season as they prepare for the next thing that you're going to call them to ultimately do, we pray, Lord, that it would just be a characteristic of each and every one of us that we would have genuine faith in your Son, Jesus Christ, and that that faith would be demonstrated through our obedience that if you place a calling on our lives, if you nudge us in a particular direction, if you burden us to help a certain group of people or to help with a certain task, that we would say yes, even if it makes us uncomfortable, even if it costs us something, even if it disrupts our initial plan, whatever it may be, we pray that we would just get in the habit of saying yes, and that we would even learn that it's possible to say yes ahead of time, even before you ask the question. We pray that our hearts would just simply remain in a posture where we're just eager to say yes to whatever your calling may be, whatever step of faith you ask us to take. Lord, sometimes a step of faith is as simple as walking across a room, and sometimes a step of faith may involve moving to a new area, and sometimes a step of faith may be taking on a new task or a new profession or something along those lines. Lord, there are things that you have this this congregation, our church family, wrestling with on a daily basis and all throughout the course of our lives. So, Lord, we pray that we would just be in a posture where we say yes to whatever your leading may be, because when we say yes, we have the opportunity not just to partner with one another, but ultimately to partner with you as you're accomplishing your redemptive work in this world. Lord, thank you for the lives that we've seen you change over the course of time here in our church family, people that didn't know you that have come to know you, people who were wandering that have come back to you, people that were struggling that are on solid footing. Lord, we're so grateful for that, and that's a work where you change a mind, and you change a heart, and you work in somebody's life to do miraculous things, and so, Lord, we want to give you the honor, and the credit, and the glory for that, and to just simply thank you that you allow us to participate in the work that you're doing. It's very enjoyable. It's wonderful to be able to think that you would give us your guidance and your power, and that you would even invite us to participate in the work that you're accomplishing, But Lord, we pray that in the midst of it, you would just teach us everything that you want us to learn, especially, Lord, that we could trust you with our lives. So Lord, if that's been a struggle for any one of us right now, we pray that we would come right back to the fact that we could just say, you know what, Lord, you've shown yourself faithful over and over and over again throughout the course of history. Please remind me again today that I can trust you, that I can entrust my life to you, that that I am safe in your hands. Lord, we pray that that would be the type of thing that we would regularly pray before you. Again, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to be able to worship you together today. We thank you for your blessings being upon our church. We thank you for uniting us together through our common faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. We seek to give you all the honor and glory. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.